What's up, and welcome to another exciting edition of Bearded B-Roll. I'm Kyle. And I'm Mike, just two bearded dudes here to chat about all the movies you love, hate, don't mind, or simply never heard of. I lost things, but I'll, I'm fine. I'm fine! It's fine. I'm Kyle. Yep. That's Malcolm. Mike. And this is the show that we're doing. Alright, so when... <laughs> Do you what want is, to go? Yeah. What's your what is what is your number one most favorite badass movie weapon? Well, my list is kind of uh, broken down in terms of things I liked visually, conceptually, in terms of originality. Um, oh, as well as gore factor. So number ten for me, and I know you're going to disagree with this quite a bit. Wait, we're starting at ten. Yeah, you start at ten and you count down to number one. That's how top ten countdowns work. You count down. Nah, you count up to the bad one. I've labeled these wrong. All right, let's do this. So number 10, my like least favorite of my top 10, is Tybalt's gun from Romeo plus Juliet. I thought that was your favorite thing in the world. No, visually, it's friggin' awesome. But, I mean, practically that speaking. That's John Leguizamo. That was John Leguizamo. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's got chrome on it, gold. It's got an extended barrel. Um, Mother Mary on one of the grips. And I think on the other side, it was actually a hollowed out clear plexiglass thing where you could see the uh, bullets inside the magazine. That's cool. I don't remember that. So my number 10 was the pencil from the dark Knight. All right. So it, it's the scene where the Joker shows up to the underground bad guy meeting. And um, he's all, they're all like, we got to kill the Batman. And he shows up and Michael Jai, he, he says something that insults everybody. And Michael Jai, what Jay white Jai white, what? Michael, Michael, Jai White. Michael Jai White's character is like, you want my guys to handle this? And then the Joker's like, yeah, hold on. Watch me make this pencil disappear. And as the bodyguard uh, approaches him, he smashes his face into the table and the pencil disappears. Where does it go? In his eyeball, obviously. Yeah, that was a great scene. I feel like you didn't need to set that up, but okay. I feel like your mom needed to set you up. She did. We should also clarify that um, we couldn't agree on a list, so we each made our own top ten. I know. I just think it's better to do lists this way instead of agreeing on them. The other one, I didn't make one because I didn't know that many movies. And then it turned out that we argued about what the definition for that one was anyway. Uh, sex so that was sex, the main man. reason there was, only, there was only one. All right. So number nine, I picked the chicken arrow from Hot Shots Part 2. Topper Harley is an American war hero and like an ex Navy pilot. And he's sent on a mission to assassinate uh, Saddam Hussein. And at one point he's taking out guards and he's using a bow and arrow and he runs out of arrows. And the guard just realizes that there's like 25 arrows in the door behind him. And he looks around and then apparently for whatever reason, this guard's gun is also not loaded. So he's like putting a magazine in and then Topper picks up a chicken and lodges it into his chest with his bow. I like that. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> he was using what was around him to his benefit. That kind of practical thinking gets my... Yeah, it was great when the chicken turned into a rubber chicken, though. At what point did it turn into a rubber chicken? The moment it became an arrow. It was a oh. real chicken before <laughs> that. So what's your number nine? Uh, my number nine is Sex Machine's Crotch Gun from, from Dust Till Dawn. Oh, I didn't even think about that one. Now, that one, you know, he's got the barrel coming out basically where his penis would be and two sort of revolver uh, magazines, chambers, whatever you want to call them as ball, as his testicles. 
And, um, you know, I think it's a cool gun conceptually. Practically speaking, it would be a little awkward to aim, I think. And what, just thrusting your crotch at stuff? I don't know. I feel like that would be super accurate. It's like uh, the movie Wanted where they curved the bullets. I think it'd be almost the same premise. It was also a little... I, I didn't understand what the trigger mechanism was. Was, like, thrusting your hips what actually guess, caused the bullet to fire? Yeah, I guess your dangle would, like, hit the firing pin or something. And let's be clear on that whole curving the bullet thing as not... Definitely physically works. possible definitely works remember that cop that told you it definitely works i remember the cop coming in and telling us that curving the bullet in fact did not work oh whatever um but no did you ever you never watched the from death told on tv series did you because in that uh gary Busey's son who i will never learn his name and i'll always refer to him as gary Busey's son jake uh, Busey. yeah 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 whatever i said i'm i'm not gonna learn it um he plays sex machine in the show and he explains how he made the gun. I don't remember exactly how it was, but like it's in there if you wanted to check that out. I started the TV show, but I did not get far enough into it to that point, I guess. So yeah, I probably need to... Off topic, but it was hard to just because the characters weren't as good as Quentin Tarantino and George Clooney. And I think that was a problem. I had an issue at first, but then I, then I got into it and I watched the whole thing. I think I went on like a From Dust Hill Dawn marathon. I watched all the movies. Well, no, I didn't because some of them are bad. It wasn't Bon Jovi in one of them? I don't know. Anyway, um, number seven. Did you say you're number nine? Yeah, my mine was first. I did the chicken arrow. All right, you confused me because we went in a different order for the first one. And we're on number eight. We're on number eight? Yeah, that was nine. Oh, okay. All right, so what's your number eight? Uh, my number eight was the blender from the movie uh, You're Next. What do they do with that? I don't. I don't think I've seen your next, or maybe right, I have. I don't want to give too much of the plot away because it's actually a really fun movie. Um, it's from 2006, I think. And um, basically it's a home invasion type scenario with a bunch of people breaking into a rich person's mansion and trying to kill them all during a dinner party. Man, I did not think of things. You know what's messed up is our show is mostly just horror movies at this point. But now that you mentioned that, man, I should have thought of, I should have the golf club from Funny Games, but I didn't even think of Funny Games. All right, so what do they do with the blender? Um, well, I appreciated this one for the ingenuity of it. You wouldn't typically think of a blender as being a fantastic weapon because they usually have pretty short cords. You know, the only way you can really use it as a weapon is to break the glass or insert something into it. Oh, so it's not, it's not the classic put somebody's hand into it thing? No, no, no. That's the fun thing about it. Uh, it's two women fighting in a kitchen, and it's a really small kitchen, and they're using everything at their disposal to hurt each other, you know, banging heads against counters and cabinets. and no knives, really, which was a little strange. Um, and then at one point, the one character gets the upper hand, and she knocks the other character down. The other character's out of breath for a second, leaning against the cabinets. And um, the character picks up a blender, smashes the glass part on the, um, on the counter, and then crams it down on top of the other woman's head, plugs it in, and turns it on. So just kind of blends nice. the top of her head. Yeah, it was beautiful. That's like the microwave in... Um... The Last House on the Left remake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you said this is eight, right? Correct. So for me, I got the Orgasminator from Orgasmo. <laughs> I, mean, I put like dates for these movies and stuff too. So Orgasmo was, um, it was a, 97. Yeah. But it was made by the guys that made South Park. Mm. And it was about like, nobody's knows about this movie because I think for the most part outside of like, it was in blockbuster, but 
Was it? Yeah. Wow. For a little while. But like, and then I think it was on Netflix for like a real small time, but like it doesn't get shown very much. I think like back in the day, the only way to watch it was like super late at night on HBO. That makes sense. But it was about Joe Young, who's like a Mormon guy going around doing that Mormon thing that they do where they knock on doors or whatever. <laughs> and he's trying to raise money to, to, to marry his girlfriend. And I guess he goes to a house and he, he knocks on it and they're like making a porno, I think. And then they decide that they want to hire him. So he ends up being in porno movies as Orgasmo, the superhero, and his special gun, the Orgasminator, which later in the movie, it turns out that his boss is a like sleazeball and a bad guy. And he builds the Orgasminator for real. And what the Orgasminator does is it's a gun. And when you shoot people, they just keep jizzing. <laughs> endlessly until you let go i think he blew up someone's balls or something like the bat like his main boss or whatever yeah the main guy yeah because he just kept shooting him with it until it like almost killed him basically did he get all swollen were his nuts like grapefruits i can't remember i don't know i just know that like it ended with that dude like not having a dick in the end <laughs> i feel like he probably still had a dick he probably just didn't have anything beneath it we couldn't use it anymore which sucks if you work in porn i think he was just the director though yeah well, it was like the guy running everything because it was the boss because he was like a jerk. Was Ron Jeremy in that movie? I feel like he should have been. I don't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. I think I tried to watch it when it was on HBO. But again, it was one of those things where I turned something on, a child runs in and Amanda yells at me and I have to turn it off. I mean, that seems fair. It happens a lot. Based on the context. Especially a lot of the times it's like movies I'm not even aware are going to have inappropriate scenes. And then it just comes out of nowhere. I'm like, oh. Like that time you tried to watch Knock Knock in the middle of the day? No, I haven't tried because I knew what the plot of that was. But there's been movies where I'm like, oh, this is a completely reasonable movie. Why is this so graphic right now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, some of them come out of nowhere. Um, All right, what's your number seven? The Knife Glove from from Nightmare on Elm Street. Freddy Krueger's gun. I picked a couple of like classic ones. This one doesn't really need examples. It's Freddy Krueger, the child molester murderer who has a glove that's made out of knife fingers and everybody knows this. And it's probably, probably the most iconic bad guy weapon in movies because everybody knows about this one. And it's pretty functional too. I don't know if it would be. I feel like the knives would break off pretty easy. That's, I don't think they ever have a scene where the glove breaks now that I'm thinking about it. No, but there should have been right. Or, or I guess you could be more specifically, which one is it where they're making the movie and the glove is a robot hand that comes to life and kills people? That one, that one's up there. That one's a special version. That's Wes Craven's A New Nightmare. And that one was actually kind of cool because Heather Langenkamp played Heather Langenkamp. She was the girl in the first one, but she was playing herself, the actress, in Wes Craven's New Nightmare. And then the movie came to life because somehow the spirit of Freddy became imbued in the viewers or something. I don't know, but it was kind of a prerequisite to scream in terms of like self-awareness and like meta crap being in movies or at least in horror movies if i was going to pick one of the knife gloves to stand out that would be the one probably yeah because that what the glove kills like her husband while he's driving home in the middle of the night i think it kills a few people before like freddie even shows up in that movie yeah that was i mean a lot of people didn't like that one but i thought it was kind of a cool take on it once once horror movies hit like the 90s nobody liked the the new edition ones True. The 90s was bad for horror. What's your number seven? My number seven, and you're going to probably have no idea what I'm talking about or laugh at me, is the Triple Decker Bologna Sandwich from Troll 2. No, because I never watched Troll 2. 
I, I maybe I did, but I didn't. It's not like as much as I watched Troll One. I don't remember why the triple decker bologna sandwich was the weapon of choice, but I remember the end of the movie. The kid basically saves his family by eating a triple decker bologna sandwich in front of an evil witch, and she's freaking out and starts melting or something. And then the triple decker power, uh, triple decker bologna sandwich has given him the ability to sort of touch her sorcerer's stone and dissolve it. And he ruins her entire kingdom by eating. That makes no sense. And now I know why I didn't see that one, or at least I don't <laughs> remember it, is because the troll's not even in that one, is it? No, it was completely different from the first one. That's why I don't care about that one. All right. Because the troll dies in the end of the first one, doesn't he? I feel like yes. It's been a long time. All right. So we're on number six. For that one... Uh, I went with another classic one on this one. It's Candyman's Hook. Nice. Uh, so the original Candyman, because it's, it's another series where like he uses the same thing in all of them, and I I don't know about the remakes. I don't. The remake's supposed to be different. I think it's supposed to be more psychological than an actual ghost. Um, which I mean, the main Candyman movies were still that too, because it kind of leaves you wondering if she was just nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they definitely left that open. But in Candyman, he is a ghost of uh, a young successful like black painter whose family like rose up out of slavery and when he fell in love with a white woman he was killed by her father and a lynch mob and they sawed off his hand covered him with honey and let the bees attack him and now he's a, a vengeance seeking ghost and whenever you call upon him he shows up and he's replaced his hand with a rusty hook and if he's not using that he's killing you with bees which is I guess I'm going to have that tied for the bees and the hook. Yeah, that's a nice one. I, I just want to point out he was still a slave in when it happened. Was he? I don't know. Some of them, I, I think it depends on which one you watch because his backstory is told each like a couple of times. And I think one of them, he's not a slave. He's just a painter. Like he's like successful. Like they've gotten out of the slavery thing. I just watched all three for some reason recently. Really? And the third one was weirdly pornographic in a way that the first two were not. They all kind of had that. No, nah, there was no nudity in. in no, no, no. Oh, you mean like directly? Because I mean, like it was a really sex-driven storyline well, in general. It was like sensual in that sense, but the third one was definitely a lot more like, "Here's some boobs, here's oh. some butt, here's some people having sex," and it was a weird departure from the. Only I remember the third one. The first one's my favorite. I've watched that one like a million times. It's usually how it goes. I watched the sequels like once or twice. But I always go back to the first ones of these. Well, the first one's the best. The second one at least ties into the story. And then the third one's kind of just like, well, we wanted to make another one. So here you go. I watched the first one not too long ago. Right. I didn't know. He was, I thought he got out of the slave. I thought he got out of slavery because he became successful on his own. Or it was like his father did. They managed to buy their way out. We can look it up. But my understanding of it was that he was a slave who was tasked with painting the daughter of the plantation owner with whom he fell in love and it was returned. Okay. All right. What's your number six? Uh, my number six is the lawnmower from dead alive. You son of a bitch. Dude, I'm pretty sure I introduced you to that movie, so you can't call it. No, you did it. not. I watched that movie as a child because my mother let me watch everything as a child. The lawnmower is my number five. All right. So what's great about the lawnmower then we can both go on this one. All right. Will you go first? Because this is yours. I mean, I loved it simply for the absolutely sheer gore factor of it. I mean, this movie used like 300 liters of fake blood in the finale scenes. Like it was just nuts. There was blood, gore, 
flesh pieces, squishy stuff all over the place. I think at one point he even like runs in place on the floor because like a cartoon character because he yeah, can't he get slips, out of the blood. Slipping on the blood. Well, explain explain the setup then. How does he get the lawnmower? God, I don't even remember. Doesn't he just go outside and he grab just has it and he's like surrounded? It's just in the room with him for some reason. When you get surrounded by like a hundred zombies. Well, because his creepy uncle had a a party at the house and invited like everybody in New Zealand, and they all turned into zombies. There you go. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, light bulb would have been a good one to put there. Do you remember the zombie that gets uh, punched? Well, the woman gets punched through the back of her head, and the fist comes out of her mouth while she's still alive. And then later, she's walking around as a zombie, and the main character picks her up and sort of puts a puts hangs her up on the wall with a light bulb through the back of her head, and it turns on. And the movie gets really creative with a lot of things because it was just a gross-out horror movie. Like I feel like that's like a cult horror movie. Like you have to know to know that one. Why don't you talk about Dead Alive a little bit and tell people why they need to watch it if they haven't and why they should watch it again if they already have. It was Peter Jackson's like first or second film way before Lord of the Rings and way before like, did he do Pan's Labyrinth? All of that stuff that he did after this. No, that was Guillermo del Toro. It came out in 1992 um, and the movie is set in New Zealand. It's about an infected rat monkey that this man finds in Sumatra and brings back to New Zealand, puts in the zoo, and the main character, Lionel's mother, gets bit by it when she's, like, putting her hand too close to the cage, which, now that I think about it, no wonder there's, like, roped-off sections at zoos now where you can only get so close to the cage. Um, she becomes a zombie first, and uh, it's it's slow. She's not, like, a brain-eating zombie. She's just, like, decaying. I think the scene where she eats her own ear and earring is, like, the best one in the soup. That's disgusting. This movie is just about being gross. Eventually, she spreads it somehow to everybody in the city, and then it's set to Lionel to to fight everyone off while chasing his romantic uh, person. His love interest? That one. Yeah, love interest. That's the words I was looking for. Yeah. Well, you stole my number five, so that was my number five. (laughs) So what's your number five? Uh, My number five is the biomechanical handgun from Videodrome. Um, I don't think I've ever seen Videodrome. It's just really fucking weird. I can't remember the director. Was it? Wasn't that Cronenberg? Oh, yeah, right, right. It was David Cronenberg, and it stars um, James Woods. And there's a lot of weird sadomasochistic stuff going on. But one of the coolest things about this movie is the special effects. Everything's sort of uh, malleable and pliable. Like um, things reach out from the inside of the TV screen. People stick their heads into the staticky TV screen. At one point, there's a really cool shot of a VHS tape that's sort of bubbling up from the inside. And it was a really cool effect. But one of the standout moments for me, and I haven't seen it in a long time, but this one definitely stuck with me, is when the main character, he plays a police officer, and he's um, sitting alone on his couch at home. He's tired, and he lifts up his shirt a little bit and starts scratching his like belly button with his uh, service pistol, which is a kind of a strange thing to do. And Then he looks down, or maybe he doesn't look down, but we see it while he's sort of in a daze, and his stomach starts to open a little bit. There's like a hole in there, and he starts sticking the gun inside his stomach, almost sexually, like he's just penetrating himself a little bit, but with a handgun. And then he sticks his hand like all the way in, like all the way into his stomach, and he's rolling around, moving, moving the gun around and stuff. And then he pulls his hand out, and then the gun's gone. And then he kind of snaps out of it, and he wakes up, and the hole in his stomach is gone, but he can't find his gun anywhere. He's like, where the fuck did it go? He's like looking under the couch and everything. And the gun is just absolutely gone. 
uh, later on in the movie, after a whole bunch of different events, he reaches back into his stomach, I think, and pulls out his hand. And, and now the gun is fused to his hand in this weird biomechanical type thing. And he's just shooting from his gun hand for the remainder of the movie. Nice. That's Definitely really one nice. of the weird. <laughs> All right. So we're on number four. What did you do for number four? It's not like the most original, but my number four is uh, Cherry's Leg Gun from Planet Terror. It's not not original. It's just... I feel like it's an obvious... Hey, I liked it. It was a throwback to, you know, those cheesy 80s, like, over-the-top There's too much CGI for me. I'll give you that. If they're going to mimic the It felt like the whole thing was blue-screened, or green-screened. Same thing. Should have been a lot more more practical effects if they're trying to imitate the, the movies from that era. Yeah. But um, that was part of the Grindhouse feature where Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino both created um, films and then put them together into one production. And Robert Rodriguez did the fun like 80s zombie knockoff and Quentin Tarantino did the weird 70s car chase movie. What's your number four? Uh, mine is super creative and it's the curling iron from Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> All right. It's an off camera. It's an off screen kill. Um, Judy, who's like the camp bully, who's going around like stealing the boys from the girls who have boys. Well, the main character, uh, I forgot her name, Peter. Um, so she, she, the killer at this point, nobody knows who the killer is. And Judy just like, is like, yo, fuck you. What are you doing in my room? And then the killer starts to smother her with a pillow. And while she's struggling and that's not quite working, she takes a curling iron and inserts it inside of Judy. And then Judy dies shortly after that. What do you mean she inserts it inside of Judy? Puts it in her vagina. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what everybody says happens. You don't see it. It's just the description of what happened. And then she dies and gets shoved behind a bed until someone finds her and is horrified. What about the person who owned the curling iron? It was her curling iron. She was using it, and that's why it was hot. Well, that's okay then. Oh, it, it makes a difference on whose curling iron it belonged to? Well, I'm just saying it's murder, but it's not like destruction of property. Oh my god. It could it's be worse. murder That's... rape. <laughs> I'm just saying it could have been worse. It could have been worse than murder rape? Things can always be worse, you know? Oh my god, just, what, did you do this one? Because you're making this terrible. <laughs> did I do what one? <laughs> you did number four, right? I did number four, yeah. Somehow you took that and made it really messed up. Alright, number three. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, my number three is the 1971 Chevy Nova from Death Proof. Okay. And what makes that a weapon? Does he run people over with it? All right, let's backtrack. So Death Proof, also part of the Grindhouse feature with Robert Rodriguez, is Quentin Tarantino's portion. And it features uh, Kurt Russell as Stuntman Mike. It's basically set in the 70s, but there's also cell phones, which is a little confusing. So it's meant to mimic films from the 70s, but it's Kind of set I thought it was in, set in current times and they just all were kind of like 70s fashion. A lot of hot pants and stuff. I think that's what they were going for. Um, Kurt Russell plays stuntman Mike and he's hanging out at a bar and 
offers to give a girl a ride home. And this is where we first get introduced to the sort of the evilness of his character. He brings her out to his car, which has a really cool skull and crossbones on the uh, on the hood. But it, instead of bones, it's lightning bolts. Yeah, there's one of those in GTA They because, they, you know, they do movie cars. Mm-hmm. So I have one for that and I have one from Vanishing Point. The Challenger? Yeah. Is it white? Yeah. Of course, I made it exactly the same. Um, so he puts Rose McGowan in his car and he explains the reason there's no passenger seat. There's like a pole sticking up out of the inside of the car and he slaps a metal stool down on top of it. And there's a plexiglass separator between the passenger and the driver's seat. And he explains to her, oh, this is a movie car. There used to be no passenger seats in these because that's where they would put the camera. So she gets in the car. And uh, after she gets in the car, he looks at the camera and sort of raises his eyebrow like, I'm about to do something fucked up. And they get to the end of the parking lot. And he goes, well, Pam, which way are we going? Left or right? And she says, right. And he says, oh, that's too bad. She says, why? He says, well, if you were going left, we'd have a little time to go before you started getting scared. But as it stands, you're going to have to start getting scared immediately. And then he turns left. And then he proceeds to uh, drive around really fast, slam on the brakes. Now, meanwhile, she's in this stool with absolutely no protection around here. I think the inside of the car is actually metal on her side and there's no seatbelt. Yeah, it's got it because it's a movie car. You can't have like all that extra crap in there. Exactly. So he's driving really fast, slamming on his brakes, spinning the car around, fishtailing, basically throwing her around inside the car until eventually she uh, smashes her face against the dashboard and I think breaks her jaw or nose or something and then continues to do this until she's dead. I thought he rolled it to kill her because that was the whole point. He was like, oh, everything in this car uh, makes it death proof, but it's only for the driver. And then like he flips the car on purpose. Well, I think he says, you know, to get the to get the full benefits of it, Pam, you really ought to be sitting in my seat. But um, he doesn't flip the car over at that point because he's still going to use it to mow down the remaining people at the bar later. That's when the car gets like. All right, cool. I remember that scene differently. No, because he goes, well, maybe he doesn't go back to the bar. But anyway, the four girls that had been kind of making fun of him in the bar that he somewhat interacted with, and then later he encounters them on a dark road and like drives toward them as fast as he can with his lights off, flips them on at the last second. And they all just die. And there's a really cool slow motion shot of each person in the car dying individually. Like the driver, I think, gets um, the tires of his car grind off her face. The girl in the passenger seat gets smushed between the dashboard and the chair and her right leg rips off and flies out of the car. The other two girls in the back die a different way. And I can't remember. Um, His car flips over and is basically destroyed, but he's totally fine because, as he said, the car is 100% death proof. Now, I chose the 1971 Chevy as the top 10 badass weapon choice for number three, because when he drives his other deathproof car later on, he gets his ass kicked by the women he's trying to kill. And that's not a badass weapon because it did not work. So the first one was the badass weapon just due to its efficacy. I mean, it's a Quentin Tarantino movie. You could just say that the women are the badass weapon because that's his thing. That's true. That is true. I picked this shotgun from Halloween four uh, from 1988. Wait, 1998? 1988. Halloween 4, 1988. Okay. So, do you know, you said, I told you about this before and you didn't understand the idea behind it. So, it sounds weird to pick a gun for like a Michael Myers movie. Are you aware of how he uses it? Because Michael Myers has never shot anyone. I'm actually drawing a blank on number four. I mean, number three is the best Halloween movie. We all no, know that. No, it's not. No. Um, ew. Um, all right. In, in four, it's the return of Michael Myers. So in the second one, he died. Uh, and then in the third one, they made 
supposed to be a completely different series at that point. But then everybody loved Michael, so they brought him back and never explained how he came back from Leia, from being dead. In 4, Michael Myers is searching the house, trying to find... I think at this point, it's his niece. Um, so he's searching for his niece to kill, because that's his favorite thing to do, is murder his family. And he walks into the house, and Kelly, who is the friend of the little girl's um, adopted sister, is in the house. And she notices, you know, the sheriff is there, and he's like... She was being bodyguarded by uh, one of the deputies, um, and she realizes he's dead, and then his shotgun's missing, and then she turns around, and Michael is there holding the shotgun, but he doesn't shoot people, so what he does is he rams it through her stomach, impales her with it, slams the gun through the wall, and then leaves her hanging there. So he harpooned her with a shotgun. With a shotgun. Yeah. Yeah. He nailed her to the wall with a shotgun. I think that falls under ingenuity too, you know, just like the chicken in Hot Shots Part Two. Yeah, I swear he used. I, I swear there was another one where he did something like that, but I could be wrong. He stabbed people with a lot of things. True, but then all it took was like a coat hanger to derail him in the first one. <laughs> I mean, I think a knitting needle might have been involved at some point as well. He's something only with human. his eyes. He's only human. Even after Halloween Two, he's only human. He's only human. He didn't die. Remember, I think they said that it was he somehow tricked everybody into thinking someone else was him and they killed him and then he snuck away. He like gets turned into a walking funeral pyre at the end of the second one. All right. What's your number two? All right. My number two. Wait, and you're, we're on number three. No, did we just did number three? number three. All right. So what's your number two? <laughs> My number two, and you're probably going to disagree with it. Just the lightsaber from the entire Star Wars franchise. Just a lightsaber. Most boring movies ever and this is how this show gets canceled before it starts are you i mean we've been talking a lot about horror movies i'm not a fan of the newer star wars movies but like i've never been a fan of any of the star wars movies not even the empire strikes back none none and when i was a kid because i would fall asleep through all of them the one thing i do remember is the day that i was like why is he making out with his sister yeah that's actually one of my pain points from that series because they kiss each other in well a little bit in the first one then more in the second one and then in the third one when it's revealed that they're actually brother and sister leia says i think i've always known and it's like really then what was going on in the second one when you were i think they weren't supposed to be brother and sister then george lucas was just like they're brother and sister well it was definitely planned from empire strikes back right or no that was in return of the jedi never mind in Return of the Jedi, when he goes back to Dagobah to see uh, Yoda. No, that's in the second one. When Luke leaves Dagobah mid, mid-training with Yoda, um, he looks up at the ship as it's flying away, and Yoda says there is another. So it was definitely planned that Leia was the sister, at least in Empire Strikes Back. So I don't think it was like an afterthought at that point. It might not have been in like the original plot, when they when he wrote the first one, yeah, okay. Well, I don't know. I'm not a fan of Star Wars at all. When I was a kid, they were too boring for me. Uh, when I was a teenager, that's when the prequels came out, and they were just bad. And I felt no interest in seeing any of the new ones. Like movies aside, would you like to own your own personal lightsaber? It can be whatever color you want. I mean, yeah, but then have you ever seen like someone break down like the actual science behind how a lightsaber should work? And how it'd be almost impossible to A, hold, and 
be you'd probably I didn't know we were going into science on this one because I'm pretty sure shooting a chicken from a bow and arrow probably isn't cool. And can we also, for Planet Terror, let's point out Cherry's leg gun. She gets her leg cut off, I think, in an accident or something, or zombies rip it off and they never explain why she's not infected. But anyway, she puts this leg gun prosthetic on and is running around on it and shooting people with it like hours after her leg has been amputated. There was no time for healing or fitting a prosthetic on there or anything. Fine, fine, fine. I'm sorry I said anything. Jeez. None of those other movies have an in-depth breakdown about that, though, where the lightsaber <laughs> does. But okay. I'm just saying we could rip apart any number of these, I think, if we... Yo, what about the lightsaber from... Now I'm stuck <laughs> on this. From uh, Leprechaun in the Hood. Doesn't he make one out of, like, a bomb? Oh, God. You mean Leprechaun in the Hood? Or Leprechaun back to the hood? One of them. He uses the lightsaber. He makes lightsaber. Or maybe it's Leprechaun in space. I don't know. He uses a lightsaber. I don't think it was in space. Point. I think I watched that one recently. I watched two and three at least. Ew. Yeah. Anyway, now that I've derailed that, um, my number two uh, is Ash's Chainsaw from the Evil Dead franchise. Again, another amputation where there's immediately a prosthetic put on with no time for healing or fitting. I feel like there's more explanation for his than hers because he's definitely in pain during it. And there's, like, gore the entire time. Like, his arm is still bleeding. Um, so this, uh, after his hand gets infected in Evil Dead 2, 1987, he cuts it off with a chainsaw and then somehow manufactures a rig out of belts and, like, leather strips to make it a chainsaw hand. And it's the greatest weapon in all of movie history. I actually should have put it at number one. But most people don't love the You hated Army of Darkness, though. And that's part of the trilogy. I did. I don't like Army of Darkness. I did like the show. And, um, un- unrelated to Evil Dead, but I still think that Drag Me to Hell should be considered part I of I actually Evil really Dead. like Drag Me to Hell. So did I, because it was it was a throwback to to the Evil Dead movies, but apparently it's not in the same... The same. And that movie was only rated PG-13. Yeah, well, it's because it was a gross-out. Like, you don't have to have violence in gross-out movies to make them... Yeah, there was no scary because having someone vomit in your mouth is scary enough. I think that's scarier than having somebody attack you. Like someone threw up in my mouth, I'd be more more upset and scared than if somebody. But like, she gets her mouth vomited into twice by the same character: once by that character's corpse, and then later by that character's ghost. That's just bad luck. Yeah. But that was a. I, um, I like that one. Um. Yeah, I like Dragon Hell. But uh, yeah, Ash's, Ash's Chainsaw, probably one of the greatest weapons of all time. It's even good in Army of Darkness. I just don't think that that movie fits so much in the franchise as... It was a little more goofy. Dragon it was almost like the Monty Python take on Evil Dead or something. Yeah. But he uses um, it like a so, knight sword in that one. Did you do number two? I can't remember. Well, I did number two, but before we move on to number one, we have to hit up some honorable mentions. I think I threw all my honorable mentions in when I decided that I liked things that I forgot about until this moment. I mean, we could talk about a few of the ones I have. I have three. What do you um, got? Well, the first one is Lucille from The Walking Dead. What is Lucille? I I, Lucille. Try, I could never get into Walking Dead. It was always like I'd watch a season and then I'd be bored and then I'd forget about it. And then I would try and catch up a couple seasons later. And then I'd get bored and I'd forget about it and it would just keep happening that way. And I haven't, I think I got the season five. That's the weird thing about that show with everything going on. It manages to be boring. I actually tried to rewatch it recently to see if I could get all the way through it. And then at some point at the end of season 
eight or something. There was like a six year time jump thing. And I was like, I can't just, I can't meet all these new people right now. Wait, I just turned it off. Is Lucille the, that's the baseball bat, right? No, it's coming back. Lucille. Yeah. Lucille is Negan's baseball bat. It's wrapped in barbed wire and dipped in zombie goo. It's actually named after his dead wife. Nice. So he's got sort of an emotional attachment to it. And it's one of the things that they use later to uh, humanize Negan. I think there's a scene, at least in the comics where he's burying the bat and saying goodbye to it, but it's because he never actually said goodbye to his wife. Um, all right, my second honorable mention, and this one I feel like I just put up there because of the weirdness aspect of it, but again, this does not fall into the science-friendly category, is the uh, shark repellent. The shark repellent from the Batman series, the old one with Adam West. Oh, I've never, I don't really know if I've seen too many of those. There's a scene where, <clears throat> I don't remember the context, but they're flying in a helicopter above the ocean. I think Robin might be flying it and Batman's hanging from a rope at the bottom. And a shark jumps up and like bites his foot. It's obviously like a fake shark and they're just kind of dragging it from the helicopter. So he reaches into his utility belt and pulls out this aerosol can that's very clearly labeled shark repellent, like just in case, you know, and he sprays it in the shark's face and it drops off and then then everything's fine. So it's just something he just had for no reason and just got to use it luckily. Yeah, he brought it with him like the way you would bring like hand sanitizer or bug spray if you were going hiking, (laughs) just in case. But I mean, it worked out for him. I wonder if shark repellent's even a real thing. I feel like it I wouldn't mean, work. Bear repellent is a thing, but that's just really strong. Yeah, but like mates, you can you can spray that, and it's an aerosol thing. You can't really spray aerosol things underwater. Well, the shark was out of water in this one. Yeah, All it right. was. It was so. It's a very specific usage. If the shark is attacking you out of water, please use your shark repellent. So I, I I thought of a couple while we were, right. while we we're doing this. So there's the BFG from Dune. The movie with The Rock, you know? Okay, yeah, I never watched that one. I looked dumb. Oh, well, they have a gun. It's called the BFG, and it stands for Big Fucking Gun. It doesn't stand for Big Friendly Giant? No, no. Um, So there's that one. It's just a giant gun that they use at one point in the movie, and The Rock calls it and a BFG. What kind of damage does it do? Is it just, like, large caliber or fast I, rate of fire? I can't remember. I think it like shoots, like, plasma beams or, or like, ball things or something. It's I don't remember. I just remember it was a cool thing, um, and I forgot what the other one was that I came up with. So, what's your last one? Uh, my last one is the the dildo from Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. I don't remember that part. There's a scene where they're introducing um, they're introducing Hatchet Harry, the main crime boss in the area, and there's a scene where they show his viciousness, where he's whipping this guy repeatedly. I think the guy owed him money with a giant. It's like a foot long black dildo. And he's just like whomping him on the side of the head with it over and over again while Barry the Baptist sits there reading a magazine. And it was kind of memorable. It kills the guy? Yeah. Just beats him with it. I mean, maybe he didn't... I, I feel like he killed him. I don't know if they directly said it, but I mean, it doesn't have to kill you to be a weapon, you know? I remember what my other one was, and I don't know how I forgot it, but it's probably the greatest honorable mention. The cotton candy gun from Killer Clowns in Outer Space. How could I have forgotten that? Nobody can. It's it, it shoots cotton candy webs and puts people in cocoons to hold them for later harvesting. Doesn't actually kill anybody though. Well, I mean, if you get left in the in the cocoon long enough, because yeah, some of the people just like of... melt inside of it or something. Yeah, at one point when they find a whole bunch of the cocoons hanging there, they peel back the surface of one of them, and there's like a bloodied person inside of it who's definitely not waking up but i think the girl or the guy gets cocooned at one point and they take them out right away and they're fine yeah 
Okay. But that's a good one. I can't believe I forgot that. Let's go to number one. All right. What's your number one? The Wire Hanger from Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, 1990. The Mummy one. Yeah. All right. Backstory. So uh, this short is the Lot 249 one. Uh, it's it's your basic Curse of the Mummy type thing, but uh, it's set up where like a grad student gets kicked out for cheating or gets in trouble. Somebody rats on him. He loses his scholarship, loses his thing. And I think that's Ethan Hawke's character. No, no, no. There were actually a lot of like famous people in this one, and it was Christian Slater, Julianne Moore, and Steve Buscemi. Ethan Hawke's in it, too. I think he's the grad student that gets his revenge. I think you're getting him mixed up with Christian Slater. That's what I mean. Definitely. Yeah, that's what I meant. Christian Slater. Okay. <laughs> Christian Slater's the one. They're the same person, Ethan Hawke, Christian Slater. I think Ethan <laughs> Hawke's had a little more of a like prestigious career than Christian Slater. Anyway, Christian Slater gets revenge on his friends by like summoning this vump mummy to go and kill the guys that got him in trouble. And in the one scene, the mummy does like a B and E. And I think it's funny because instead of like just being like a mindless zombie thing, like zombie mummy type guy, I think I called it a zombie, which that should be. A thing. I like that. I like that. Um, he, you see him in a closet, like messing around with a wire coat hanger. And then the next thing, you know, um, who's the blonde guy? It's, isn't that the guy from like saved by the bell or. No, you know, that I was going to, I couldn't say his name because I couldn't actually think of anything I've seen him in. He actually looks like a young hop, the guy that played the sheriff in Stranger Things, but yeah. I don't know his name. Anyway, so the mummy goes up to that guy, shoves the wire hanger through his nose into his brain cavity and starts to like yank his brains out like they would have done to mummify somebody back in the day. And like that scene messed me up when I was a child, because again, I've watched all of these when I was a child. Um... And I loved it. Now, this was actually a really great series just in general. And if we're going to bring up this series, then one of my honorable mentions is going to be the cat from Tales from the Dark Side. The Is that the one that like crawls in someone's mouth? Yes. There's a guy who it's an old guy in a mansion and his like uh, also old sisters had been what he claims to be murdered in their sleep by the cat stealing their breath or something. So he hires a private detective to come in and like take the cat out for him. And uh, the guy thinks, okay, this is an easy couple thousand bucks let me just kill this cat and be on my way and the cat keeps like outsmarting him at every turn and then eventually just jumps inside of his mouth and then later the old guy comes down from his room or something and he sees the detective laying on the floor and he's like oh this is weird and he sees the guy's stomach start to pulsate a little bit and then the pulsating moves up his chest to his throat and it's like ballooned out and the cat just like pops out of the dude's mouth man if we keep going with things that are going to remind us of other things because that always reminds me of is it Cat's Eye, where the, the little goblin thing is actually the one stealing the breath, and they keep blaming the cat, but the cat's actually protecting the kid the whole time? I don't remember that one. Was Cat's Eye the anthology with like the guy who had to go around the building high-rise on the ledge? I don't know. It just All of it involved cats. There's multiple stories, but I, th- I think so, but I, I can't remember which one it is. There's like a little like six-inch troll thing that's actually the one that's like stealing the kid's breath, and the cat protects him. But the parents keep seeing the cat laying on the kid's chest next to his mouth, and they think it's him. Was it a boy or a girl? I think it's a boy. Because I feel like Drew Barrymore was in this. That's a really long time ago. Anyway, what's your number one? Uh, my number one is not so much a weapon so much as a technique. And it's the five-point palm exploding heart technique from Kill Bill. That's not a weapon. You can't do that. 
if weapons count, then you can do like the the special punch that they do in um um what's the movie with John Claude Van Damme where he can punch through a brick wall and hit the thing on the other side. The dim mock from Bloodsport. Yeah. I mean, that would be a technique too. I feel like a technique can be a weapon. Like a weapon, if you learn a skill, that's a weapon. Like if somebody doesn't know how to fire a gun, then having a gun as a weapon would be kind of useless, right? Or having a, if they didn't know how to drive stick shit. Well, we just, we just proved the fact that you don't need to know how to shoot a gun to kill somebody with Michael Myers. So I feel like most people don't have the upper body strength to just shove a gun through somebody's entire midsection. I don't know how strong you'd have to be. Let me explain this one, though. So the five-point palm exploding heart technique, which if you can learn, it's something that cannot be taken away from you, right? All these other things are things that you can't bring with you on an airplane or to prison. So if you can do the five-point palm exploding heart technique, you can use it even if you're naked, even if you've been stripped of all your other belongings. Somebody would have to cut off your fingers for you to not be able to perform this task. And that, I think, is why it's number one for me. I think we have to make another one of these lists at some point, because as we're doing it, I'm thinking of more and more things. I think that's, we should actually have like a specific category one where we maybe focus it on edged weapons. Okay. That's smart. Firearms. Because I was just thinking about like the, the Beretta from Equilibrium. What was special about the Beretta? I think it was like, well, I mean, there's the whole gun kata technique with it too. Oh, and then, yeah, that was. <laughs> and I think the guns are like biometric. Like you can't shoot it if, if you don't have the right one. Or am I thinking of Minority Report? I don't know. I mean, if we're going to bring that up, then we should also bring up the gun from Dread. Yeah. All right. So now that we've done this, we can't just keep going. Then it's not a top 10 list anymore. And it's just a look at all these cool things we remember. All right. So to sum up, if you've seen the meme that anything's a dildo in the movies, anything's a weapon. I have not seen the anything's a dildo weapon, but just looking around the room I'm in. It's not anything's a dildo weapon. It's anything. <laughs> Okay, either way, I don't think everything can be a dildo. I'm looking around my room right now, and I'm just seeing a lot of potential hospital visits. Wow. All right. (laughs) This has been another episode of Bearded B-Roll, the movie podcast. I'm Mike. I'm Kyle. Find us anywhere you find podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bearded B-Roll. And remember to email us with ideas and suggestions at beardedbroll at gmail.com. You good? I'm good.